Okay, we all know that Christianity and the gospel is good news and that joy is for the believer and God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yet we've all experienced seasons where it feels like Christianity is complicated and hard to keep up with and hard to know if we're missing the missing the mark or hitting the mark and between fasting and tithing and laying down your life and serving at church and being a good example and all these different things sometimes christianity can start to feel complicated but there's good news it's actually meant to be simple so in today's episode I'm calling this Uncomplicate Your Christianity, and I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for any of you who feel like you just can't quite keep up. Let's jump in. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Before I jump in, I want to encourage you to stay tuned and listen to the life hack segment because in it, I drop five uncommon tips to help you with weight loss. It's January. We all have our weight loss goals and it can be a little frustrating trying to figure out what to do. Five little simple t- tips and tricks that I have found really helpful over the years and I think they'll be helpful to you as well. Okay, in today's episode though, I want to encourage those of you who identify with this character, Abby. Abby has been a believer for years and years. Abby wants to love Jesus so well. Abby has been following Jesus and she works hard to serve at church and lead by example and she helps on the worship team and she's trying to make sure that in in difficult situations she's turning the other cheek and and she's having her quiet time and oh yeah she needs to be doing some fasting and oh yeah don't forget to tithe on time and she's like starting to feel a little bit swallowed up and overwhelmed by the demands if you will of Christianity and what it takes to feel like she can be a good Christian how many of you guys have been there I've been there a hundred thousand times right And it can start to be overwhelming, and yet we see these scriptures that are like, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and the gospel is the good news of Jesus, and the joy of the Lord is your salvation, (laughs) and it's like, wait a second, I'm drowning, feeling like I'm failing as a Christian, where's the joy again? And we've all been there, and it, it can feel at times like Christianity is complicated, or maybe you're not a Christian, Or you're looking at Christians from a distance and you're like, all y'all are too complicated for me. This life is way too complicated. Y'all are crazy. Okay, Jesus never intended for our Christianity to end up looking or feeling like that. In fact, there's a group of people in the Bible who, who emulate that complicated Christianity so well. And we call them the Pharisees. Now, Don't be discouraged. I'm not calling you a Pharisee, but I want to address kind of what goes behind and what feeds that narrative that we can get caught up in of feeling like our Christianity is complicated. Okay, so listen to this. Matthew 22, 34 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, in other words, Jesus was smarter than them and caught them in their trap, the Pharisees got together. They're like, "Mm, how can we get this guy? One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, mind you, 
the law was basically a series of rules that had been written that people who love God were meant to follow. There were hundreds and hundreds of laws. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Like even the way you took care of your animals, there was laws about that. Even the way you take care of your body on your period, there was laws about that. How you dress, how you eat, there were so many laws. So complicated Christianity was definitely a thing back then, right? And we can easily get drawn into this complicated Christianity life. So maybe you identify with Abby. Abby's a believer who wants to love Jesus. She does love Jesus with all of her heart. She wants to live a life that that would please him and makes him proud. And so she does her best to have her quiet times, even though she's got little kids, so it's kind of difficult, but she's trying to have her quiet times. And she makes sure she's tithing on time. And I mean, sometimes she forgets, but she really worked hard to remember. And then, you know, it's the new year, so she wants to do a new year's fast. And so she's fasting, even though she lives a busy life. It's kind of hard. And people cut her off on the road all the time because she's a cautious driver and she really works hard to keep her heart happy with these people that she wants to cuss at and she is serving at church she's serving in the kids ministry and you know when they have an outreach she feels like it's her responsibility to go on this outreach and she's doing all these things but she is if she's honest she would tell you she's starting to feel overwhelmed by the demands of Christianity but she doesn't know what to do because she feels like if she stops doing any of these things, she's breaking rules and not following the word of God. And, and so she's kind of struggling to figure out how to have a Christianity that, again, is joyful and enjoyable and not doesn't feel like a litany of rules that she has to follow. So I want you to notice this. The Pharisees' response to Jesus is they were, A, religiously trying to trap him. Legalism, which is when we're caught up in following rules and laws, legalism is law-based living, and it is always focused on the lines that we trip over. If Throughout scripture, the Pharisees, they were so good at coming along and pointing out people's sin. Uh, you're sinning here, you're sinning there, you need to fix this. Because in the Old Testament, that was technically their job. Like, they knew the law, they were experts in the law, and it was their job to lead and help the people know how to keep the law, right? And so, but unfortunately, what started out as like a helpful thing became where like nobody wanted to be, be around the Pharisees because they were always pointing out sin and flaws. That's what the law did. It made us constantly aware of where we were falling short. And the point was, it was supposed to help us be aware that, that we need a savior, that we need God, but Jesus hadn't come yet back in the days of the law. And so when Jesus came and he brought grace, grace has this beautiful different approach of going back and dealing with the heart as opposed to the fruit. And so the reason why is because the heart is the source of everything that we do. And so while the Pharisees are busy pointing out what we're not doing with our hands, the grace of Jesus comes along and says, hey, let's deal with the heart behind this instead, which is actually a much more vulnerable, can be more cutting kind of place to live. However, it actually simplifies life. So one way that you know that you're getting caught up in legalism and the law and that discouraging place of Christianity is you live in a discouraging place in your Christianity. The law and legalism 
is something that Jesus came to fulfill so we don't have to be bound by that badgering and that overbearing, overwhelming sense of I just can't quite keep up. When you feel like your Christianity is complicated and you can't quite keep up, that is your first red flag that you're functioning under the law and not under the grace that Jesus brought to you. That's why the gospel of Jesus is actually good news because he got rid of our need to be bound to the law and live a life that's being picked apart by all these rules and instead we can rest into his grace. So what does that look like? But first, how many of you guys have kids, right? And your kid, my kids do this. I don't know. Maybe I need to reevaluate my parenting style. But my kids, I think it's just the human sinful nature. My kids will get caught up in, especially if they're tattletaling, all the legal, the legalities of a situation. Like, oh, I wasn't really arguing, mom. I was trying to blah, blah, blah. Or I wasn't disobeying, mom. I was just saving my game. It just took me seven more minutes to finish my game so I could save it. Mm, No, disobedience. So they get caught up in all these legalities of, oh, that wasn't my trash left on the floor. That was his. So he can pick it up. Mm, No. And so our kids get caught up in this. Well, what this tells me about legalism and the law is that legalism and the law is something that comes out of our broken, sinful nature. Our broken, sinful nature identifies with law and fulfilling rules and trying to prove to ourselves that we're good enough, right? The law is always focused on external fruit. That's why I like Jesus would get annoyed with the Pharisees because he's like, dude, all of y'all do all these things. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're white on the outside, but on the inside, you're filthy because you don't love anybody, right? And so, but grace is focused on internal transformation. So like when my kids are fighting and they're all hung up on the rules and the laws, the way I simplify it is I ask them, I said, okay, listen, each one of you, were you acting in love? No. Were you acting in love? No. Okay, then both of y'all are wrong. Problem solved. Fix your heart and let's move on. (laughs) And so legalism, I think the reason that we lean into legalism sometimes is because legalism actually enables the pride of life. The Bible talks about how everyone deals with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the boasting of what one has and does. And these are like the core sins that drive our sinful nature. And legalism enables the pride of life inside of us because it enables a self-righteous arrogance. When we're doing well and we feel like we're checking the boxes and doing all the things, then there's a self-righteousness that can rise up inside of us. Um, And then when we see other people failing, if we have self-righteousness operating inside of us and we see other people failing, we can be inclined to want to point the finger or accuse or blame because they're not paying the price like we are, right? And so legalism and the law and external, focusing on external fruit does this thing that stirs up a self-righteousness inside of us, which is actually really not pleasing to the Lord. And it doesn't actually feel good on the inside, right? So we live in a world that's full of like highlight reels. You can scroll Instagram and whether you follow bloggers or whether you follow Christian people or whatever, we all drop the highlights on there because, you know, you've only got 30 seconds, so you want to drop the good stuff. Well, the problem of that is then our brains think 
that everyone's reality is full of these highlight reels and then it makes us by comparison feel like a failure. So we live in this world of highlight reels which can just kind of exacerbate and worsen the effect of feeling like I'm not enough, feeling like I'm not Christian enough, I'm not godly enough, I'm not serving enough, I'm not dying to myself enough, I'm not a good enough mom, I'm not all the things good enough. And the law comes in and echoes that. The enemy comes in and echoes that. And it can really nurture this comparison mentality that can lead you into a Pharisee type of Christianity versus a love-based, grace-based type of Christianity. So let's look at what Jesus said. After the Pharisees are trying to trap him, what is the, the greatest commandment? You guys have probably heard this before. But roll with me because there's always fresh manna, even in old passages we've read. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When I was young, I, I've always really just loved Jesus from a very young age. I've just had a, a special affection for him. I feel like he showed me why I was born really premature. And he gave me a vision on one of my birthdays that um, when I was at the hospital alone on the incubators and whatever, that my mom had to be gone with my sister who got out of the hospital earlier and that Jesus was there with me, nurturing me, speaking to me and loving on me when I was an infant struggling for my life. And I think that's why I have always had just a love for the Lord because of those early days with him that my spirit recognized, even if I didn't. And uh, anyways, because of that, I've always wanted to just live in a way that pleases the Lord. Well, of course, human nature, I would oftentimes get caught up in just the legalisms of following Jesus well, you know, all the things that I listed in the beginning of the episode. And oftentimes it would leave me overwhelmed and discouraged that I just couldn't please the Lord or I just couldn't do enough or I just couldn't quite hit the mark. And when I read this passage, it it set me free so much because I realized, hold on, I don't have to be like the Pharisees trying to keep all these rules. I need to focus on what is simple. Love God with everything in me and love people like myself. If I fail at everything, but I succeed at those two things, I will have actually failed at nothing. If you fail at everything, but you succeed at loving God with all of your heart and loving people as yourself, you will have actually failed at nothing because those are the things that all success is built off of. Your success with Jesus, your success with people, your success in your family, in your job, your success with finances, Everything comes back to loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving people as yourself. Here's a fact. You are not and you will never be enough of a Christian as long as you're looking at the works your hands produce. And here's why. Because when we're looking at the works our hands produce, we have this tendency to lean into busyness, to lean into work, to lean into performance, to lean into external fruit. When the Bible says in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If, you, if any man remains in me and I in him, 
Then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet when we start focusing on external things and on the law, it tends to draw us into busyness, which actually draws us away from abiding in the Father and in his presence. The way to real fruit is actually not busyness and pursuing all these things. The way to real fruit is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that starts with getting in his presence and connecting with him. If all you do spiritually in a day is spend time with Jesus and connect with his heart, you're going to bear fruit that day. Accidentally, you will bear fruit. (laughs) Accidentally, it's wonderful. Because when you get God's heart imparted into you, that's what you operate out of in your day. The whole premise of the cross is built upon the fact that now we don't have to keep a list of rules. We can just go get alone with the Father and connect with the Father's heart. And he works out the details. He works out the fruit issues. And sometimes that looks like you go through your day and it's not like God takes over your hands and takes over your feet and takes over your mouth. It's just that by connecting with his heart, it changes your thinking, which changes your actions. It changes your words. And also in moments when you need him or when he needs you to make a different choice, his voice is quicker on the inside. And so it's easier for you to recognize what's the right thing to do and and not the right thing to do, and to lean into obedience. And so connecting with the Father sets you up to bear the fruit that you're hoping to look to bear. And so it's kind of like like if I'm a farmer, and I go out there, and I don't do any of the work of tilling the soil, planting the seed, watering the seed, but I just go out there, and I take my seed, and I'm screaming at it, demanding that it grow fruit, I'm missing the whole point. That's not how it works, right? It only grows fruit by going through the process of, of feeding that seed what it needs. Well, the seeds in your heart of the things that will produce life from you grow in the presence of God when you're in the word of God, when you're in worship. And now listen, when I've been overwhelmed and discouraged in my soul, say I've been struggling to just kind of master an area in my heart of my flesh, you know, Um, maybe it's a sin area, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a stronghold in my thinking, whatever. I have found that the greatest way out of that is in worship. I think it's I think worship is powerful because worship is is simultaneously like you're tilling the soil of your heart, stirring it up to receive from the Lord, but it's also the watering of that seed. Now the soil itself um or the the seed that goes in is the word of God. So getting the word of God is important because the word of God is how stuff grows in you, right? Um as far as like uh the truths of God's word and the fruit of God's spirit. Um, but the soil is your heart. And so preparing your heart to receive from the Lord worship is how I soften my heart and I get my guards down. If I feel like I'm failing with the Lord, I find that I have guards up in my heart because shame comes in and tries to tell us we're not good enough and something's wrong with us. And so when shame comes in, we put up walls, we put up guards to try to self-protect because we actually can't really process shame. We're not built for shame. And so when shame comes in through sin or through failure or discouragement or whatever, the natural human instinct is to put up guards and to defend your heart. Well, worship gets those guards down and spending time in his presence gets those guards down. And I'm not talking about going in, God, you're awesome and you're mighty and you're worthy. And yes, that does happen. And yes, sometimes that's my approach. But I find that when my guards are up and my heart is kind of sour or kind of discouraged or embittered, 
putting on a worship song and I just listen and I just let it kind of water me and I just listen and I let my heart connect with the idea of the song. That is enough. And then, of course, I will oftentimes be drawn into actually worshiping with my mouth and worshiping externally. Um, And so the whole premise of the cross, though, is that we don't have to fulfill the law. We can lean into that relationship. It makes that relationship with God accessible so that our focus doesn't have to be keeping all these things and doing all these things. But now my focus gets to be loving on Jesus, letting him love on me. And then from there, I get to love on people. And then the fruit takes care of itself. It's kind of like those of us who are trying to get a six-pack abs. Who wants abs? I want abs. I don't have abs. I do have abs. They're buried. (laughs) My abs are buried at the moment. Now, if I go to the gym and I'm like, I expect abs tomorrow. And I'm like focused on my stomach. And I'm like, these abs better show up. If I'm putting in this hard workout, these abs better show up. And I'm like, get impatient because I'm so focused on these abs on this, the fruit of my hard work, right? But the reality is if I'm just focused on the abs, I'm gonna get discouraged and I'm gonna get impatient because it doesn't happen overnight and I'm gonna quit, right? My focus instead needs to be on the long term and realize, you know what, if I do my due diligence and I do every day's part and I connect with the gym, (laughs) connect with exercise, connect with good eating, eventually the fruit will take care of itself. I don't need to be stressed out over the fruit. I just need to focus on and trust the process. I know I'll get there. Same concept. Don't be stressed out about the fruit of living a life that is pleasing to Jesus. If you focus on the process instead, which is the heart, loving God with all your heart and soul, and let that be your focus, the fruit will take care of itself. Everything that's fruitful is designed to flow from a place of faith and faithfulness. Faith in the process, faithfulness to be consistent with it. The process of growing fruit in your relationship with the Lord is, I know that if I connect with him, he will produce his nature in me. And I know if I'm consistent to do this, the fruit in my life will grow and my life will be pleasing to the Father. Instead, law comes in and wants to fear-based, micromanage, compare, and kind of try to force control things out of your life. And that is the surefire way to a frustrating, discouraging, complicated life with the Lord. Your heart is the most vulnerable part of yourself. So when he says love God with all of your heart, that's that's a really vulnerable request. Sometimes we can want to offer good works and doing all the things externally, especially if inside our conscience is struggling. Like let's say I just I'm aware that I I feel like I'm failing as a mom or I feel like I'm failing in this area. I feel like I'm failing in my marriage. I'm really discouraged that I'm not doing better in this area. So sometimes to try to shake off that shame or shake off that discouragement, we will focus on trying to do things to kind of almost prove to ourselves, or prove to God or prove to the world around us that we're doing better than we are or that we're trying to offset that voice, that nagging voice of insufficiency. So in that way, good works can actually become a way that we lie to ourselves or deceive ourselves and distract ourselves from dealing with the real issue, which is our heart. And so this is why God asks for us to love him with all of our heart, because when we deal with our heart, it cuts off all these other things that complicate and confuse 
life with Jesus. We don't have to worry about bad good works or good works that are coming along just to try to make ourselves feel better because when we're dealing with our heart, then everything that comes out of us will be authentic. It will be genuine. And the Bible says that everything that is not done from love or from faith, I'm sorry, everything not done from faith is sin. So when I'm not being authentic, when I'm not being full of the truth of God working inside of me, then the things I'm putting my hands to, if it's not born out of love, it's going to get burned up. If it's not born out of faith, it's sin. And so focusing on external works is not helpful because you can put so much energy into doing all of these great ministries and awesome things. But if it's not born from a place of love and a heart of faith, then it's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not actually going to bear good fruit because fruit comes from your heart. And if your heart's not being dealt with, the fruit is tainted. The fruit isn't true, genuine fruit. And so Jesus's reply to the Pharisees is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the heart, the soul, and the mind are different and distinct. The heart and the soul are very similar. The heart is basically that you're living from a place where there's no hypocrisy. You're 100% genuine. You're genuine about what's coming out of you because it's coming from the heart of who you are. It's the truest place of who you are. So loving God from your heart, from the truest place of who you are, means there's no hypocrisy in you. It's just you genuinely love God and you're loving him from there. Your soul is the life source inside of you that animates you. It's like your personality. It's the seed of your senses, your passions, your desires, your affections. It's the it's the more expressive part of who you are. The heart is where your soul resides, but your soul is is kind of all that expression. And so loving God when I'm um when I play the piano and 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 affection comes up out of me to play something for him, you know, or, or when I'm styling my clients and I, I want to bless them and I want to bless them because I want the Lord to be able to touch them. You know, that's loving him with my soul. Okay. And then loving him with your mind, your mind is the place of your understanding, your intellect, your, your reasoning, your imagination. It's the product of your reasoning and the way you view and filter the world. And so, Loving God with your mind means that even the way you process situations, you can love God by the way you process. So, for example, someone does something that offends me. I can love God by giving them the benefit of the doubt in the way I reason through that situation. I can say, oh my gosh, that was so rude. What in the world? But then I can stop myself and say, you know what? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're having a really rough day. Maybe I could actually go do something kind for them instead. That is interrupting that process and loving God with my mind and with my thought processes rather than imagining the worst or whatever. So that's what loving God with your mind can look like. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. It's really simple. If that person offends me and I think, oh my gosh, they're so rude, blah, blah, blah. The truth is I want someone to give me the benefit of the doubt. So to love them as I love myself, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. So it's really simple. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here's kind of the summary of all of this. It's not a complicated concept. I know you guys are like, yeah, this is foundational. But the reality is when we get away from the foundations of our faith and and the, the simple things, that's when things start to get complicated. So when you start to feel like you're failing at your walk with Jesus, I want you to strip it down to the bare essentials. Listen, 
Jesus is not after your tithe. He's after your heart. He's not after your fasting. He's after your heart. He's not after um, your time in the nursery. He's after your heart. Now those fruits, if they come out of a heart that feels prompted by the Lord or is an expression of your love for the Lord, then it pleases him. But if those fruits come first to try to convince God that you love him or to convince yourself that you're doing better than you are in your heart or whatever, then those are bad fruit. So start with the heart. Don't start with the fruit. Start with your heart. So get your focus off of the work of your hands and put it back on your heart. Take the pressure off. Focus on loving God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then simply love others the way that you want to be loved. If you can succeed at these two things, loving God with everything and loving people as yourself, you will starve out the self-righteous, hypocritical nature that legalism creates, and you will live a life that is full and simple. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when your Christianity doesn't feel easy and light, Not to say there won't be hard days or hard emotions to process, but when your Christianity feels difficult, that's when you know you're getting away from the way that Jesus wants you to do it. Then strip it back and go back to love. Love God, love people, that's all. That is how you uncomplicate your Christianity. He's the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in him and he in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from him, you can do nothing. So always, always strip it back down. Every day, wake yourself up in the morning. Every day, say, today, if I only succeed at loving God with all of me and loving others as myself, it was a successful day. And if you live your life that way, just like if I go to the gym and I work out every day, <laughs> I'm going to be fit and strong and it will have just done it to itself. It will like that the habit of going to the gym and working out will create the healthy body that I want. If you create the habit of loving God and loving people and not getting caught up in the legalisms and the complicatedness of following all these thousands of rules and trying to perform at your best. Just strip it back, love God, love people. And the discipline of that, the habit of that, the practice of that will produce a fruitful life that will please God and that will allow you to experience his life, which his yoke is easy, his burden is light, the gospel is good news, his joy, the salvation of God is the joy of your salvation. And so I hope that is helpful and encouraging, and I know it's a super simple concept, but I can't tell you how many times this has, this going back to this foundational truth has literally encouraged my soul when my soul was just deeply weighed down, and I know we women can feel those pressures from motherhood and from our social media world and all these things, so when you feel heavy, when your Christianity feels complicated, Go back, strip it down, love God, love people, that's all. All right, stay tuned for Life Hacks. Okay, for today's Life Hack, I'm going to play to a pain that we all feel, which is trying to lose weight. Yes, we all have to go through this. And actually, I felt very vindicated one time when I was reading the Bible, and it said something like, um, nobody fasts 
or restricts their food when the bridegroom is here because it's a time for celebration. But after he has left, then people eat with restraint. And I was like, what? It's a normal thing to go through seasons where you celebrate and eat the food and have a great time and then later eat with restraint. So <laughs> even the Bible acknowledged that. So it's January. We all have weight goals. And so I was thinking in all my years of having babies, losing weight and my weight fluctuating, I was like, what are some things that have been really helpful that I've come across that maybe were common or less lesser common? little tips. So here are some tips I've picked up. Here's five pointers for you. First one, this one I think was a tip that Wolverine, the actor that plays Wolverine, um, uses when he's trying to get in shape is he won't eat carbs past 3 p.m. So if he eats carbs in his day, he keeps it all before 3 p.m. And then he makes sure to eat lots of water and just heavy protein meals for the later part of the day, which I thought was brilliant because if you're done eating carbs by 3, you've got plenty of time to burn them. Okay, so that's tip number one, don't eat carbs past 3. Second one is eat four to six small meals at regular intervals. Now, this is counterintuitive with all of the intermittent fasting. That's a different, that's a different thing because you still consume all your calories. Um, but eating four to six small meals is basically the equivalent of this. Let's say you're trying to keep a fire burning in your fireplace. And every two hours, you come back and you put a little log on the fire. Well, if you keep doing that, you're going to maintain a steady fire all day long, right? You'll keep the warmth. But let's say you come and you just dump a whole bunch of stuff on the fire, a lot of leaves, a lot of, you know, twigs and easily burned up stuff. You throw on some gasoline, it goes up. It's a huge roaring inferno, but then it dies pretty quickly because there's nothing of substance for it to burn. Your metabolism is the same way. So if you're feeding yourself healthy, whole, nutritious food, Multiple times a day, four to six times, it's like adding that log every couple of hours to keep your metabolism burning versus sugar, carbs, or like a big heavy meal is like dumping a whole bunch of stuff on it. It might spike your metabolism for a short period of time, but then it dies out if you're not continuing to feed the fire. So what you need to do is feed the fire of your metabolism. Four to six small meals can be two to 300 calories a meal. And you can eat them every two to three hours. And what that looks like for me might be like an apple and a slice of like um, mozzarella cheese that's real low fat or whatever for some protein and some carbs. Or it might look like a couple of eggs. It might look like uh, a handful of nuts. Anything like that, you just want to, of course, keep in mind that you're getting plenty of fruits and vegetables and mostly vegetables and protein in those meals. So that's a great way to keep your metabolism going all day long. It's easier to eat meals like that. I think they can be quicker meals because they're smaller. Um, and of course, with the lower calories, you want to watch how much fat you're putting on it. Like don't, don't cook your chicken in loads of butter. That's going to take the calories up anyway. So that's another trick four to six small meals at regular intervals to keep the fire going all day. Thirdly, don't drink your calories. <laughs> Okay, I know I'm actually a drinkaholic. I anywhere I go, I almost always have two to three drinks with me. I love drinking and I love having drinking options. I'm not an alcoholic, no, don't worry. Um, I just like coffee, I like tea, I like smoothies, I like uh carbonated drinks, <laughs> I like options and protein drinks. And so what I do 
is I make sure that if if there's any calories in my drink, it, they're going to be really minimal. I have so many friends who are like, I quit drinking soda and I lost 20 pounds without trying. Yeah, that's because there's a ton of sugar in soda or in Starbucks drinks or in these canned drinks. Even diet drinks are actually, the way they affect your body is they still, the, the artificial sweeteners still spike your insulin and they actually make you crave more sugar. So diet drinks are not a great option either. What I like to do is I'll do like herbal tea, like fruity ones, and I'll use stevia to sweeten it. I know not everyone's a fan. You can use honey as well, but do it in limited options because that, again, spikes your sugar and your calorie intake. Um, I carry a little bottle of squeezy stevia with me everywhere I go, and I get all my drinks sugar-free. Um, like I'll get unsweetened tea or I'll get uh, the skinny version of drinks at Starbucks. Or I'll get no syrups in it and I'll just use my stevia. And it takes a little getting used to, but I still have lots and lots of options. And then I'm not consuming calories. Did you know that a Starbucks latte has anywhere from like 40 to 96 grams of sugar in one drink? Y'all, that's like three Snickers bars. That's crazy. So yes, you're going to put on weight from Starbucks if you keep eating there, drinking there. So don't drink your calories. It's an easy way to cut it out. Just find alternate options that have a lower calorie intake. You could swap half and half for oat milk or something like that. It's still creamy, but it's not going to be as fattening. So there's options. Don't drink your calories. Uh, fourth would be in the morning. Start your day with green tea and some kind of a protein. So I noticed that just after a couple days of drinking green tea, my appetite goes up. The reason my appetite goes up is because my metabolism goes up and I'm hungrier. This is good. That's the whole point of green tea is it spikes your metabolism. If you want to go hardcore, go with matcha tea. Matcha is a more concentrated version of green tea. And um, But when you do protein in the morning, it stabilizes your blood sugar for the day. And so it helps you not crave sugar as much. It helps you feel fuller, helps you make better food choices. And so pairing green tea and some kind of protein in the morning is just going to set you up for success in your food choices and it'll boost your metabolism. Okay. And the last is stabilize your blood sugar. So a lot of people don't realize how much your blood sugar plays into your weight gain or weight loss. So your blood sugar is basically when your body sends signals that of, of insulin dumps into your system. Um, when your blood sugar spice, spikes, the body says, oh my gosh, we need more insulin. We've got to burn this stuff. So it'll release a bunch of insulin, which actually can trigger the storage of fat in your body. And so when you stabilize blood sugar, then you're stabilizing your insulin release. And so then you don't have these huge spikes that tell your body to store fat. So ways you can stabilize your blood sugar is by eating protein with every meal. That is seriously going to help. If you have sugar, like say a donut, for example, eat some eggs with it. If you pair protein with sugar... They molecularly bind to each other and the protein helps your body process the sugar better without the same insulin spike as if you were to eat the sugar alone. So pairing protein with a sugar, if you're going to have a treat, then that's one way to help minimize the effect on your, on your blood sugar levels. 
Also, cinnamon, throw cinnamon in all your food if you want. Like if you have yogurt, if you have tea, if you have coffee, throw cinnamon in it. That stabilizes your blood sugar. And then apple cider vinegar. If you are a fan or are not a fan, I am not a huge fan, but I'm a fan of the impact of apple cider vinegar. A, it eases your digestion and helps your digestion, which also helps you in losing weight because if you can't digest your food, you will store your food. If you can digest it, it'll move through your system. So apple cider vinegar helps you digest your food easier. It stabilizes your blood sugar. And for me, I notice that when I'm doing apple cider vinegar on a regular basis, I don't crave sweets as much. And that's probably because it stabilizes your blood sugar. So you can do apple cider vinegar, like a a tablespoon or two, in a cup of water. Um, I add stevia instead of honey, but you can add some honey and then you just throw it down. Some people don't do it straight. It will burn your esophagus. Don't do that to yourself. Um, But I also will, to make it more of a treat, I will add a tablespoon or two of apple cider vinegar to an iced glass of LaCroix key lime sparkling water. I add stevia. I add a splash of vanilla. And it tastes like an amazing Sprite. It tastes so good. And there's no calories in it. And it's good for my stomach. So that's a way you can do apple cider vinegar mix it with your LaCroix. So anyways, 10 minutes in, uh, that was a long life hack for y'all, but those are the five tips. Don't eat carbs past three. Eat four to six small meals at regular intervals throughout your day. That also stabilizes your blood sugar. Um, Don't drink your calories. If you're going to take in calories, make it with food. Um, Green tea and protein in the morning really helps your metabolism. And then find ways to stabilize your blood sugar. Lastly, on stabilizing your blood sugar, you can also drink herbal teas that will stabilize your blood sugar. Anything with cinnamon or holy basil um, will stabilize your blood sugar as well. So I hope those are helpful. Good luck on your weight loss journeys. I hope today's episode was encouraging to you. And as usual, share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to stop by the merch store, javawithjenmerch.com, to get you some coffee or to get you a t-shirt or a mug to enjoy your coffee while you're listening to the show. I love you guys. Follow me on Instagram as well, javawithjen, so we can stay in touch. I love to chat with you guys there. All right, catch you later, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.